0: We are in a sermon series that we have entitled, The Books. The Books. It's, a, it's, it's because the Bible, what we call the Bible, literally, literally means the books. The Bible is actually a, a collection, right? It's a collection of books. It's, a, um, it's not just one collection, it's actually two collections of books. The Hebrew Scriptures, or we call them the uh, Old Testament sometimes, uh, and the Christian scriptures, or the New Testament. And these two collections of books bound together make up the Bible or the books. And we're kind of going through them together uh, a lot of this year. And I told you that we're going to take some breaks along the way, potentially, because it's, it's a long time to get through the books, right? So uh, probably before Easter, we're going to take a couple uh, pauses to, to get ready for Holy Week and for that season. But uh, right now, we're kind of going through the Pentateuch early on here. And we'll be in Genesis a little longer. And we, last week we began to talk about the Hebrew patriarchs and matriarchs. The parents, the people who were the founding parents of the, uh, the Hebrew, the Israelite people. Their first ancestors that started the nation of Israel. Mentioned in the book of Genesis. And we, it began with Abraham and Sarah. If you were with us last week. And today we'll look at some of their kids and even a little bit about their grandkids today. Uh, for a few minutes. But... um. We ended last week with the story of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah died and Abraham bought a piece of land and he laid his wife to rest there. And then um, afterwards, uh, he, you know, that became a family burial place. And he was grieving and mourning her loss. What we didn't mention last week was that their son Isaac was also grieving the loss of his mama. Because this was a small family. Remember, Isaac had only had a half-brother. He was sent away, as we saw last week. So at home, they were wealthy. They had a lot of servants and a lot of, of, of activity around them. But family-wise, it was mom, dad, and Isaac. And now mom's gone. And he's grieving. And Abraham, in the middle of his grief, decides it's time to help his son move on with his life. It's time he got married. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 24 and beginning with verse 1. It says, Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Okay, weird. Um, But that's how they did it, apparently. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, That you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. So I guess in the story here, they were worried. Maybe the local people they were they came far from home to be in this promised land, and maybe the girls around there, the people around there, didn't share their faith, their faith values. Maybe they didn't share their they had cultural differences. But whatever reason, he said, I don't want my son to marry one of these girls here. Send him home. In verse four, he says, Tell him go instead to my homeland to my relatives and find a wife there for my son Isaac. and That's kind of funny. Don't stick around and find one of these local girls because they're no good. Go home and get him a cousin, okay? Again, it's just the, the way things were. We're just just passing on the history to you. Um, anyhow, so the servant does what he's told. Him. We, this is a very long chapter. Basically what happens is that he's a trusted right-hand servant all the life of Abraham. He goes back to the city of Haran where Abraham had left his family behind. And when he arrives there, um, he comes to a well of water. He brought camels with him with gifts, and, you know, and, and uh, he, he arrives at this well, and he, and he has a relationship with God. He learned that from Abraham. So he has this relationship with God himself, and he says, God, I'm here to find a bride for my master Abraham's son, my master Isaac. Um, but I don't know where to turn, I don't know where I'm at, so help me. And I'm going to ask you to, to give me some guidance. So typically in that culture, one of the jobs as people cared for sheep and cattle and livestock, which is what Abraham's family had done since he, before he was born, is they would come out and, and sometimes the young girls would come out and draw water from the well to bring to the, the flocks. And so, or maybe just for the household use, they would come out and use the well. And so the servant said, Lord, if you would send a girl out here, That's the right one, and and I'll go and ask the girl for a drink of water, and if she offers me water for my camels also, let that be someone from the family I'm looking for, and let that be your guiding hand. Shortly after he prays, a, a young girl walks up. She goes to the well. She draws water. He runs up and says, excuse me, do you mind? Can I have some water? I've been on a long trip. He drinks, and she waits patiently, and then she says, is it okay if I water your camels also? And he's thinking, aha. So when she's done, he asks her, he says, uh, what's your name? Where are you from? And she says, my name's Rebecca. And she finds out that she's from the family. And he's so happy. He begins to worship God and say who he was. And she's excited. So she runs home, tells her family. And her brother, Laban, comes running out to meet uh, the servant and brings him back home. And he sit, they sit him down. They, they take care of his livestock. They feed him. And he says, before we eat any further, I want to tell you my story. He tells them the whole story that I just told you. How God brought him there, the prayer he prayed, the whole thing. And he said, I'm here to find a wife for, and I think that maybe Rebecca's the one for my master's son, Isaac. And the parents are like, well, what can we say about that? God seems to be in it. Okay. But stick around for a while. So they kept trying to keep him day after day to stay there. They don't want this to move on Finally, the servant is like, you got to let me go. you got to let me go. Uh, I'm so excited that God has brought me here and has, has prospered my journey. Let me take uh, Rebecca back home. And then now they're, it's getting real. So they say, well, let's talk to her and see if she wants to go with you. Hey, Rebecca, you want to go with this guy? Marry some guy you've never met before? Let's do it, she says. Okay. I don't know if she just wanted to get out of the house really bad. Or if um, she was just a free-spirited, adventuresome type. I don't know. But whatever the case may be, she's like, let's go. Bags are already packed. You know, they're in the, they're in the closet. And so they, uh, they went. And we pick up the story in verse 61. Then Rebecca and her servant girls, they were also a wealthy family. Abraham's descendants came from that. Rebecca and her servant girls mounted the camels and they followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, had returned from that place. Beer or something. One evening, as he was walking and meditating in the fields, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebecca looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And he replied, it is my master. So Rebecca covered her face with her veil Then the servant told Isaac everything that he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother, Sarah's tent, apparently because his was way too much of a bachelor pad to to venture into. I don't know. No, seriously. Walked into Sarah's tent and she became his wife. I will not expound on what that means, but you get the idea. And he deeply loved her and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. And that's the story of how Isaac and Rebekah came together. We're going to continue in chapter 25, if you're following along, verse number 20. When Isaac was 40 years old, he remarried Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram and the sister of Laban. Aramean. So, what we see in this verse is that Isaac was the the 40 year old virgin, okay? So, you didn't know that this is biblical knowledge here for you in case you were wondering. So, in verse 21, it says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. This is so big. And so, I don't want you to not see, overlook a tie into last week's story. In last week's story, you have Abraham and Sarah unable to have children. So what do they do? They say, well, God, what do you want? And God says, I want you to leave your home and go far away into this land. And they got there and they still couldn't have children. But through that process, Abraham didn't walk away from his faith in God. He instead leaned in and had several different encounters, like seven different times where God appeared to him and he had a relationship with God while he waited, through his disappointment, through his waiting even to have children. And here Isaac is now a grown man and Isaac and his wife are also, just like mom and dad, unable to have children. And Isaac does the same thing his dad does. He didn't turn away from his faith. He prays and says, God, please bless us with a child. And it says, the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. Oh, good. He got double answer to prayer there. All right. Uh, what, 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 what can you ask for? Um, it says, but the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. She's going through this whole chaos where the baby's, I don't know what it feels like to have a baby inside of you because I've never experienced that. Thankfully, I never will. Amen. Um, I wonder if there's any women in the room here who ever gave birth to twins. Any twin bearers here? Twins? So you can, you can speak. To, and you also had pregnancies where you did, they were not twins. Is there a vast difference? And how it feels? Just the, hmm. So she feels these kids moving and she says something's unusual. She doesn't have anything to compare it to because she didn't have kids before this. But she thinks it's kind of chaotic. And if we read the story, these kids were extra feisty. So she goes to God and she says, why is this happening to me? And I love that because, you know, Abraham, I said Isaac prayed for his wife. Which is what a good husband would do. But now we see Rebecca's praying too. Both Isaac and Rebecca had relationships with God and they're talking to him about their situation. And we can just, don't overlook that. How many of us let day upon day go by and we never take a time to just communicate and connect with our God individually and just have a relationship and correspondence and and build that. And she's praying and God answers her. Verse 23, the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become Two nations. Now we're just going to pause as we go through this verse because, a lot of of details are being given. There was no ultrasounds back then. There was no, you know, but he says, first of all, you got twins coming. First shocking piece of news. Second of all, they're both going to be boys. Second piece of news. Thirdly, I'm going to make both of them into great nations someday. They're going to both prosper with large families in this area and they're going to have a, a massive lineage. And From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. Not just someday, but from the very beginning. Get ready for rivalry in your house with these two boys. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Well, that's a lot of of tea right there, okay? She just got the whole scoop. Verse 24, when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. What do you know? The first one was very red at birth and covered with a thick hair like a fur coat great so <laughs> so they named him esau then the other twin was born with his hand grasping esau's heel so they named him jacob isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born So it was a long time they waited to have kids. And again, remember, lifespan was still a little longer. It was shrinking since the time of the flood, and they're still living a little longer than we're living now. Forty isn't as old as it would feel now, and neither was 60. But it was a long time waiting for children. And Isaac and Rebecca have twins now. And the little one just comes out out of the womb, which is an interesting picture of birth here, grabbing that heel of the older one. Anyhow, we're going to pick up the story as it continues here in verse 27. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Two boys, same parents, very different personalities. If you are a parent of more than one child, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, it's amazing how kids can come from the same mom and dad, same genetics, and be so different. Like, what in the world? You know, your personality, they look different. Their personalities are different. Their interests are different. Their struggles are different. They're just different. And these boys were different. Esau, he's an outdoorsy guy. He is just a picture of the typical, you know, outdoors, rugged, macho guy, guy, guy you picture. He's got, you know, bow and arrow hunter magazine on the deck of, of his uh, outhouse. And he's, you know, he's out there going you know, to club things and drag them home and eat them, you know. I mean, he's just outdoorsy. Jacob, on the other hand, didn't care for any of that stuff. He liked to stay in the house. He preferred indoors, and he liked to cook and do things like that. So they were very different children indeed, even though they were twins. Verse 28 says that Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So dad connected with Esau over his hunting and his outdoorsness. outdoorsness you know, Is that a word? Outdoorsness? And, um, but Rebecca connected with Jacob probably because Jacob spent a lot of time in the house with her, but the time doing things and they're sharing common interests. And what we see right here is a commentary that we're going to see teased out further in a minute here, that the parents had favorite children. Now I'm going to pause real quick here and say this, mom and dad, future mom and dad, mom and dad have little children, mom and dad have teenagers, mom and dad have adult children, don't have favorites. I'm telling you, you say, well, Arlen, they had favorites. It's in the Bible. They did a lot of things in these stories that we don't want to emulate. For example, don't take your wife to a foreign city and say that she's your sister so that they don't hurt you and let her be put in harm's way instead. There's a lot of bad ideas in these stories, okay? You don't have to follow them to, to take them to heart. This is another one of the bad ideas. Don't have favorite children. That's just not good parenting. Look, we have, God's let us raise three children. They're very different from each other. They have similarities and they have differences. We have no favorites. We love them. They all have things that we're proud of them about. They all have strengths. They all have weaknesses. They all have things that we worry and pray for them about. We love them all equally and differently. And that's how it should be. Don't have favorites. But if you're here today, and I just got to say this, if someone's here saying, well, that's just how I am. I have a favorite child. Okay, if you're just going to do that, first of all, don't. But second of all, if you're just going to have a favorite, for the love of all that is decent, don't let them know. Okay? I mean, don't let them know because, because that's not good for the favorite. Like, what kind of mind are they going to grow up with? Look at me, I'm special. And then it's not good for the other ones. Kids need therapy. Some of you know, what I, you need therapy, you know. And I know that some kids can feel like they're not as favored, even if they are because they just have that belief that they're not. But don't make your, ever make a child of yours feel like they're less special than the others. If they if they wrestle that demon in their own mind, that's their problem, but they shouldn't be. You shouldn't have a favorite. Anyhow, that's just free advice, whatever. Take it it or leave it, but if you don't take that advice, your kids are going to take some advice from somebody else one day when they cope with the hurt that comes from that. Anyhow, so one day, verse 29, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red, which is confusing to me because they named him Esau at birth because he came out red and hairy. Now they name him Edom because of red. So this guy in the color red, I guess. But anyhow, he just wants some stew, and it sounds like he's being real bossy. You know, maybe he's an older, dominant, tough brother who picks on his his you know, Jacob. Give me some of your stew. Or maybe he's not picking. He's just really emphatic. I'm starving. You got to give me some stew right now. And and so Jacob's gonna like be like, make your own stew. You know, or he's going to do something, he's going to barter, he's going to trade. So Jacob replied, all right, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Woo, okay. I understand aiming high in your initial ask, so you can negotiate down to a reasonable level. But he just went for the whole Kit and caboodle right there. Give me your rights as the firstborn son. Now, I I don't have time to explain all that this means, but there was something that we refer to as the birthright that um, can mean a few different things. There's two things I want to point out to you to understand the context about a birthright in that culture. The first was this, that in that culture and time when children would grow up, the the inheritance would be divided amongst the sons. The daughters would Sorry, girls, the way that culture was often back then would oftentimes be told, marry someone and get their inheritance, but your sons would get the inheritance. And sometimes if the daughter didn't get married or something happened, they would give her a piece of inheritance. It was just the way the world was. But, but, but the sons would get the inheritance divided, but the oldest son would get a double portion of inheritance. In other words, you get twice as much as everybody else. So think that through. If you have nine sons, they would not each get one ninth of your inheritance. They'd each get one tenth, but the oldest would get two tenths, Right? Or if you have two sons, they wouldn't each get a half. They'd each get a third, but the oldest would get two thirds. He'd get a double portion of what everyone else got as part of his rights as a firstborn son. Another right that I want to point out today, and that's all we'll do, is that they would be given a special family blessing. As dad would bless his children with a special blessing, the oldest would get that special extra spoken blessing, which was very important in their culture, probably should be more important in our culture, to speak blessing over their children over the rest of their lives. And so um, this was a, the birthright. And Jacob's like, give that to me. So Esau says, forget you. Goes out to the, gets a hot pocket, warms it up and is fine, right? No, that's not what happens here. It says this, verse 32. Look, I'm dying of starvation. Now that's hyperbole. Mom and dad, have you heard that before with the kids grow up? Oh, I'm starving. And you're like, nice to meet you, starving. I'm mom, you know. And I'm, star- I'm dying of starvation. What good? is my birthright to me now. So he's like, you got a deal. But Jacob said, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want just an informal deal. First, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. What in the world? But it's what he does. It's a crazy story. And I picture that Jacob always wanted that blessing. He was living his whole life wishing that he was born a few minutes earlier. You know, if I just come out first, that would be mine. And he always wanted what he didn't have. But Esau took for granted what he had. Isn't that how humans work sometimes? We either want what we don't have or we take for granted what we have. And so Jacob's been pursuing this all along. Give me the birthright. Esau's like, I don't care. And so it says in verse number, uh, the next verse here, verse 34, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. And, Je- and Esau is, is perplexing why he would do this. Um, he didn't look down the road very far. There's a term we use, some of us who like to play with investing and that kind of stuff. We like to use a term called having a low time preference or a high time preference. Esau had a high time preference. In other words, all he cared about was right now. What's right from now? I don't care about someday. I can't wait for someday. I want now, I want that food now. And, and, um, and, and so he sold out the future. He's like, I, don't even, I may not live to be old enough to enjoy my birthright. That's, that's someday. Who knows what, if that'll even happen? But I'm hungry right now. And so he indulges a fleshly or physical appetite now without thinking of the ramifications of his decision later on. And Jacob's like, good deal for me. Well, we're going to come back to that. But let me pivot the story back to mom and dad. Let's go back to mom and dad for a few minutes, Isaac and Rebekah. Genesis 26, verse 1. A severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Now, if that looks familiar, if you are with us last week, you remember the stories. There's some similarities going on. Twice in Abraham's lifetime, living in that region of the Canaan, outside of the cities, you know, in the fields, raising cattle for a living, they were kind of cut off from from the cities and from the population bases. And twice in Abraham's day, a famine came to their area, and he moved away from there to a city nearby to be plugged into a better metropolitan area to survive an economic downturn. One time he went to Esau Egypt, and one time he went to Gerar, the land of the Philistines. And Abimelech was king back then, and now Abimelech's still alive. He's still the king, although he's older. And now Isaac's doing the same thing. A famine has come. He's going to go to a populated area to survive the downturn and come back. And if that sounds familiar, so does the next part of the story. It's hard to believe, but here we go. Verse 7, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife Rebekah, he said, She's my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, they will kill me to get her because she's so beautiful. I don't know who these girls are they're marrying, but they're apparently so beautiful, people think they'd be murderous to, to have these. I mean, this has happened twice now. To Dad, I mean, Sarah and Rebecca, it must have been something else, I don't know. But all I know is that Abraham told the same story twice. Remember last week? And, and both times, Abraham was telling a half-truth. Because Sarah was his half-sister, but she was also his wife, which is weird, but that's just what it was. But as we know, a half-truth is a complete lie. It's right. And so he lied. But now Isaac, he's even telling a half-truth. He's just telling the complete lie. She's, she's, not, she's not his sister. She's his cousin, also still weird. But he's just lying because he doesn't want people to murder him. Because, again, Isaac thought the same thing that Abraham thought. And I want just to kind of plant this thought here. It's like... I feel like they, they lived in, a, in a, a, a bubble. They lived away from these cities. They lived out in the wilderness by themselves. And they thought whenever they went somewhere that all the people are so vile and bad, I just know they are, that they're gonna do these horrible things. And I think we can relate to that a little bit. I think sometimes in, in, in religious and church people and, and people in general, We get older, we raise our families. We can get into a bubble sometimes, especially a religious bubble. And we can kind of say, you know, got to protect everything. And then you think everything out there is so bad and you heard rumors and you saw a Facebook post one time about how bad places are and everyone's so horrible. And you can get to the spot where you believe the worst about other people and people groups because you're just isolated. And here in this spot, Isaac comes out of the wilderness and he's in the city and he's like, oh, they're going to kill me. He assumes they don't have a good moral fiber they would kill him to get to his wife, just like Abraham did. And in both cases, it wasn't going to happen. But they put their wife in harm's way by lying about her status. So what they did was, assuming that people didn't have their moral code or their faith, they undermined their own moral code and lied and put themselves in a bad position. And it's so important that we know we have to trust God and not assume the worst about everything. But anyhow, he lied. Verse 8, But sometime later... Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Ooh, that's kind of husband-wife behavior going on out there. And and, and Abimelech was watching as he knew. He he went through this with, with Isaac's dad. He's like, I've heard this story before. So he'd been watching. And one day he caught them. Aha, I knew it. So immediately Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, she's obviously your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And he hears the same excuse dad gave. Because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us? Abimelech exclaimed. One of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you have made us guilty of his great sin. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or wife will be put to death. Because again, he experienced plagues last time from almost misstepping accidentally. He's like, leave him alone. Now, it's just a peculiar thing to read here. It makes me think about those things you hear about and read about a little bit in Scripture, about the tendencies of generational struggles to exist or generational sins. What's interesting about Isaac and and, and, uh, his dad is that Isaac took after his dad in a number of ways, didn't he? Like, we actually skipped a story last week about Abraham and Isaac for sake of time. And it's an amazing story, but it needs a whole Sunday to itself, and we just aren't taking time for that right now. But it's a story that shows Abraham's extraordinary faith complicit with Isaac's extraordinary faith. And in these stories, we see that Isaac kind of got his dad's heart for God and his faith in God. And then like his dad, he struggled to have children but like his dad, instead of turning his back on God, he largely just prayed and built a relationship with him through that time and eventually so God come through. And like he said, they're so similar in so many good ways. But apparently he's also similar in some not so good ways. I'm going to lie out of fear to protect myself and not do what's best for my wife in self-preservation in this moment. And you just wonder how many times do we pass things down and how many times do we let people pass things down to us? And I don't believe you're a, a prisoner of your pa- well, all that you know, your, your parents hold dear or what they do or don't do. You're not. Although I have in my years of pastoring seen a number of people who even resent their parents for what they, who they were and what they were like, but adopt some of their same behaviors in their own way. They might resent it and, and dislike some things, but then in its own different way, it's hard to see it in ourselves where we're just different but same. And so it's easy. And at some point, we got to break those chains if there's some struggles being passed down. Mamas and dads, we got to break the chains for our kids. We don't, want, we don't want to be so angry that we teach our kids to live angry lives, right? And operate out of anger. We don't want to be so arrogant that we teach our kids to be arrogant people in this world. We don't want to be so lazy and teach our kids not to work hard. We don't want to be uh, so uh, out of balance with career and family that we teach our kids the bad priority. We don't want lust to captivate us or addiction, and personal consumption to be passed on. And at some point along the way, people got to wake up and say, I need to wrestle my demons to the ground so I don't pass these on. And I'm not saying that they won't because they have a free will choice, they're their own people, but I want to make sure that there's nothing that I'm making easier because I've not modeled a better behavior. I've not modeled victory. Let's, 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 let's turn to the Lord and say, God, help us break some chains. If you need to break some chains We want someone to pray with you about that, come see us. If you want to talk about your past, your family, your own struggles, come see one of us. We'd love to talk with you. But Isaac is walking in his daddy's footsteps in some good ways and some bad ways in the story. Let's pivot to another story here. And this is a very quick passage, but I want to set it up for later. In Genesis 26, 34, it says, At the age of 40, Esau, that's the son, the oldest of the two twins, Esau married two Hittite wives. These would be girls who lived in the Canaan land where they were at, called Hittites. Married two Hittite wives, Judith, the daughter of Viri, and Basimeth, the daughter of Elon Musk. I'm sorry, the daughter of Elon. But but Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and for Rebekah. They made life miserable for them. You know this. Some of you understand this. You know it's hard when someone's children make a, a marital choice that's difficult, and parents have to sit there and say, "Now it's, it's family, and I don't even like that person." And you have to learn to like them, or have a strained relationship, and you gotta learn to play nice. But if they're mistreating your child, it's so hard. It's so hard. And Esau's wives make Isaac and Rebecca go crazy. Like, why is he marrying those girls? But Esau's making bad choices right now. Don't miss it. He's making bad choices. And they're really the same as before. Last time, he let his physical desire for food make him be short-sighted and sell his birthright because I want to eat right now and fill my belly. And now he's looking past the ramifications of a bad marriage and say, I don't care. I just want, I want a woman or two. Right? He's just like, i got to have what I want now. And I'm not thinking about consequences. I'm not thinking about where this will take me. I just want to fill my physical desires right now. And he's on a bad roll. And it's easy sometimes to get on a roll and stay on a roll. It's easy to get on a bad roll and stay on a bad roll. And I say something to all of us today carefully. Listen, one bad decision can lead to another. Be careful. Be careful. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. If you make a bad decision in life, you have a choice to make. You can, some people sit there and say, well, that's just who I am. I'm just an impulsive kind of person, see? I, I'm just going to lean into my mistakes and say that's who I am and I'm going to own that. We speak affirmations over ourselves all the time in bad or good ways. I'm just, I'm just that kind of, I'm a, kind of a person, it's who I am. And I'm going to let that be who I am from This going forward. That's what Esau kind of did. First day he despised his birthright. Who cares about the future my birthright? I just, I'm a guy who lives for right now. And now he's doing the same thing in his, in his relationships. And I just want to encourage all of us today, be careful. That if you make a bad decision, don't let that define you. Don't, don't identify there. Just come back to the Lord and say, God, I'm gonna, that's not who I am. Confess it. Deal with the consequences and say, we're, we're gonna, there's a better version here. And go forward. But be careful in the first place. Don't get the first domino to drop. Don't, don't let yourself do things that, will make other bad decisions easier to make the next time and the next time. we got to at some point say, let's break that chain as well. And if you're struggling that way and you're wanting someone to pray with you, we'd love to meet with you and be an encouragement to you as you look to break some chains. Anyhow, one big last story, and it's significant, so let's get into it. Genesis 27, verse 1. Are you ready? One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind... He called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied. I am now an old man. I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. You see what's happening. Isaac's getting old, and he's like, I can't see. I don't know if I'll live a long time or a short time, but while I'm still in sound mind, I want to give you the family blessing that belongs to the firstborn son. But didn't Esau sell his rights as a firstborn son to his brother for a bowl of stew? I wonder if Isaac even knew. I don't know. We know. We know because the stories are passed down through Jacob and his descendants to the children of Israel. Moses records them hundreds of years later. Did Isaac know that deal? Did they never tell him? Could Esau never bear to tell his dad? Did no one tell his dad? Did dad not know and just going to bless his oldest son like he's supposed to? Or did dad not care? My son's had a hard enough time. I'm going to give him this blessing. I don't know. Did mom know? She might have. She's pretty close to Jacob. Did she? I don't know. But Esau is glad to hear this. He's going to get something back because he's lost so much along the way. He goes back and he's going to get the hunting but it takes a while to hunt. If you ever hunted before, you got to go out into the woods, get to your spot, settle down, it's a way out there. You got to calm down so the live, you know, so the people don't know you're there anymore and the animals start coming out and you got to wait for the right one and kill it. I mean, it's, it takes a you got to field dress it. So he's going to be gone for a while. So in verse 5 it says Rebekah, the mother, Rebekah overheard what Isaac her husband had said to their son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats, I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. I know just how to cook, cook it for him. I'll make it good. Then take the food so that he, to your father so that he can eat it and bless you before he dies. So she's gonna, she's gonna connive with Jacob. And again, does she know? Maybe she does. Maybe she just has the promise she had in prayer that the younger would be. She had a favorite for sure. Does she think of just going to Isaac and saying, uh, honey, actually the blessing belongs to him. Did he not care? Did he not know? Did she know? I don't know. But she said, we're going to trick your dad. And I'm going to help you do it. And, and Jacob is having no confidence in this plan at all. Verse 11, but look, Jacob replied to, look, look he said, uh, my brother Esau is a hairy man. My skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. In other words, I'm scared of dad. and I don't want to get his his curse on me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go get the goats for me. And he does. He brings the goats in. She begins to prepare them. They take the animal skins and they they secure them to his arms and to the back of his neck so he might feel hairy if he's touched in those spots. And he puts on some of Esau's clothes from his bedroom, from the laundry basket or something. I don't know. He puts on some of Esau's clothes And she gets the food ready. He walks into his dad and says, Dad, who is it? Me, I got the food. Who are you? I'm your son Esau. Remember, you sent me to go hunt for some food and bring it to you and you're going to bless me? I'm here. And dad's like, that's kind of fast. You don't sound right. How'd you get done so fast? Well, your God blessed my journey and your God gave me a fast kill. So here I am. Bless me. And dad's like, come here. And he brings him and he touches him. And he, feels his, and, he, and he feels his arms and back of his neck. And he says, man, he's, his voice sounds like Jacob. But he feels like Esau. And look again, Dad's blind now. And Dad's senses are dim. And he's confused, but he says, well, he knew what I told him to do. He got the food and it feels like Esau. So he begins to eat it. And after he eats it, he says to, um, he says to his son, um, come here, give me a hug. And when he gives him a hug, he smells his clothes. it's Esau's outdoorsy smell, you know. Um, And he says, oh man, that's my favorite musk for men right there. I love that smell. And so he's like, I knew it was you. So he begins to just pour out this blessing on his son. He says, man, you're going to grow up and you're going to be incredible and you're going to be blessed beyond measure and you're you're, going to rule over your brother. What kind of a weird blessing is that anyhow? But he he says all these words. And when he's all done blessing him, Jacob gets out of the door quickly just in time to get out and unchange and get... Before Esau shows up with his kill, prepares it, goes into his dad and says, Dad, I brought the food. I'm here. And dad's like, wait, what? It's me, Esau. And dad realizes he's been duped. And he begins to tremble and says, well, who came in before you and got me to bless them and stole your blessing? And now they're going to be blessed. And Esau knows right away it was his stupid brother Jacob. He was mad. He's like, he's t- tricked me two times, got my birthright for me, and now I'll get my blessing back, and he got that too now. I'm so angry. And, and so he says, Dad, you got to bless me. Dad says, I'm sorry. I gave the blessing to him. Those words were spoken over him, That's are his now. And Esau is just lost so much, he's distraught. He, he begins to just beg and weep and say, Dad, please, you kind of have a blessing for me, Dad. All I have left. I've, it's I, been such a hard journey. he got to give me a blessing. He's weeping. And so dad says, okay, um, you're going to be a wild man. You're going to live out in the wild. You're going to, you know, f- every man's hand against you, you against every man. You're going to fight your way through life. And one day when you're strong, you're going to break the chains of your brother. What? It was a blessing, but it wasn't what he was wanting. Verse 41 says this, When uh, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. It's murderous hatred. Verse 42, but Rebekah heard about Esau's plans, so she sent for Jacob and she told him, listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you, So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in the city of Haran and stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, actually what I've done to him, but what you've done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? See what she's saying there? Why, when your dad dies and your brother kills you, should I lose my husband and my favorite son, both of you in one day? It's just kind of a messed up family dynamic. Parents have favorite children, they're tricking each other, helping their children do the same. I don't lose both of you, your you know, brother kills you, and I lose my, your husband and my favorite son. I mean, it's just a tough situation. So she's got to go convince Isaac to sign off on this trip for her son, because it's got to be, you know, you know. He's a he's he's patriarch. You know, as they said, the hus, you know, husband's the head of the home, but the wife's the neck. You know, she's got to go turn the head here. So she goes to Isaac. Rebecca says to him, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. That's her story. So we're going to finish in chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. They're not good for you. Again, their, their, their values might be different. Their faith values might be different. Their, their religious customs are different. Their, their, their church, they're just they're culturally different people. Don't marry someone around here. Instead, go at once to Pedanaram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel and marry one of your Uncle Laban's daughters. It's still funny. I don't want you to marry one of these local girls because they're all crazy. Go marry a cousin. Again, strange story, but it's what it was. Basically, marry someone that comes from our values and our background. That's what I want you to do. And then he speaks another blessing, and I want you to notice this with me. Verse 3. Isaac says to Jacob, May God Almighty bless you and give you many children. Spoiler alert, he certainly does. Guy has a, he's a baby factory before it's over. It's crazy. Anyhow, um, give you many children. And may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he has promised to Abraham. May you own this land that you are now living as a foreigner for God gave this land to Abraham. And in that moment, Isaac does something very powerful. He doesn't just give Jacob a blessing. He gives him the Abrahamic covenant. Are you with me? He says, Your grandfather Abraham's son, your grandfather Abraham was given a promise from God to bless him and give him this land for his nation and to bless the world through his lineage. The Messiah would come through his lineage. Son, that's your promise. This is your land. Abraham's promises are your promises. Your lineage will bring the Messiah. Everything God promised your grandpa comes to you. It's a big deal. It was also his way of saying to his son, Don't stay gone. My dad wouldn't even let me go get a wife. He got a wife, brought her to me. That was weird. But, but, but you're going to get a wife, but you come back. This is our land. This is the place that God has for you. Come back. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan to stay with his uncle Laban, uh, Jacob, uh, Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. Now, what about Esau? This is sad to me. I want to read a couple more verses. Esau, the other brother. Verse six, Esau knew that his father, Isaac, had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Pet Aram to find a wife, and that he had warned Jacob, "You must not marry a Canaanite woman." but Esau married two Canaanite women. and his dad's saying to his brother, "Don't do that." So does dad blessing my brother? And then he also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and had gone to Pet Aram. Esau had not always been such an easy child himself. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. Esau's going through a real moment here because he's watched everything slip away from him in life. He lost his birthright through his own food, and most of it's his own fault. He stole his birthright for a short-sighted bowl of stew. He, He made some bad women choices because he wanted to. And now he's in a spot where, and he had a. but it's not all his fault. It's not all his fault. He has a mother who doesn't love him as much as she loves her, his brother. He feels a disconnect from his mom. But at least he had his dad. But now his dad's managed to give his brother his blessing, and not just the one time he got tricked. He's given him an extra blessing from his grandfather Abraham, and he's told him to go marry better than he married. And I, J. Esau's losing all of it. He's losing it all. In one moment, he's just, feeling like I'm on the wrong end. My parents don't even like my wives. My dad is the one person I had, and he's giving my brother a special connection with him. He's just left out. A lot of it's his fault, but it's not all his fault. Our family's a bit dysfunctional. So what's Esau going to do? This is interesting. Verse 9. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family. And marry one of Ishmael's daughters in addition to the wives he already had. So here's what that, this means. Since, since mom and dad are sending Jacob back to mom's family to find a near relative to Mary, Esau says, I'll go to my dad's half brother, Ishmael, who lives not far from here, and get another distant relative. Maybe my parents will approve of them because they're not one of these Canaanite girls. I'm going to go find someone in my a near relative also. Maybe that will make mom and dad happy. I'm not going where my brother's going. He's still trying. He's still trying to just get back in. That, that, that terrible feeling of saying, I don't measure up or I, I've made a mess. and Everyone knows it. My parents don't like me. My mom never has. My dad doesn't seem to anymore. And what is he doing right here? He's doing what so many of us do in life. No matter how bad the family dynamic is, you just want the old thumbs up from Pappy, right? You just want to believe that no matter what is dysfunctional, that you're proud of me, or that I'm okay, or that, and and Esau is just trying to get that approval here at the end. It's just sad. His sad desire to please mom and dad the frustrations of how things have gone. There's a lot of sympathetic characters in our story, besides the primary ones, and all the characters matter, not just the ones that make up the family tree we're studying. And before we wrap this up, I want to say this to you. A lot of the things we talked about today, I think, could help us as moms and dads. So I just want to say a quick word to parents before we finish this today. If you're a dad or a mom, maybe you're a young parent of little children. Maybe you're a parent of teenagers. Maybe you're a hopeful-to-be parent someday and you're not yet. Or maybe you're a parent of grown adult children. I just want to say this to us all as moms. I want to remind us as parents that our children can learn both good and bad from us. They can. And I don't mean to say that what they do is our fault. I believe our children have an identity before God, a free will. they are free will agents of their own before God. And as I said earlier, you have a whole bunch of kids and they're all the same parents, same upbringing. They turn out differently, not laying things at any of our feet that should not be laid at our feet as parents. They will make their own choices. I understand that, you understand that. You need to understand that and let go of unnecessary guilt if you struggle. But I want to say this to you, regardless of what they choose to do, we can control something. We can control the example that we set. We can control the words that we use. We can control our influence. And what they do is up to them, but we can do our part. And and, and we saw it with Abraham and Isaac. Abraham set a good example for Isaac in so many ways, and Isaac followed his dad's steps. He also set a couple bad examples along the way, like the thing with his wife in the foreign city. And Isaac followed those steps too. And we see mom and dad and, 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 their, and Isaac and his wife and their children, and they have favorites and they have a divided family and they have a weird dynamic going on. And mom and dad, listen, we can't control, our kids will make their, their own life, but we can do our part to set an example, A bedrock. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that when we falter, we own it. We don't just say like Esau, that's just who I am and make bad decisions continue. We own it, we confess it to God and to our, those who see it and we, and, we, and we break some chains and we go forward. We show our children a life of faith. We show our children a life of, 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 of following the Lord and continuing to and getting back on track when we get off track. Whether they're little or unborn or teenagers or adults, we have an example And we show them an example of our our life and our love for them and what we say and what we do. That's all we can control. And I hope that somewhere today as mom or dad, we are pricked at our hearts to remember the importance of our journey as it impacts our posterity after us in some way. We're going to finish Jacob's wild adventure next week. And let me tell you about Jacob, okay? He just got sent back to mom's family. He has a wild adventure. We'll do that next week, so come back for that. But for today, I want to remind us as we wrap up that God is at work, even in the messiness of our lives and the messiness of the world around us. When you read the story, you're like, these people are a hot mess, man. These people are just like, what? How is God doing this stuff? But, But that's what God was doing. He was at work. Even though it was messy and sticky, because here's why. Because God is sovereign. He is the giver of life, and He can be trusted. We're gonna sing a couple songs as we wrap up today. We're gonna sing "Great Are You Lord." The reason we sing "Great Are You Lord" is because He's great. I'm not always great. You're not always great. You're pretty awesome people, right? You're awesome, but we're not. We know, we know ourselves. We know our good and our bad and our ugly. But God's great, and he's faithful. We're going to sing, great is your faithfulness to me. You know why? Because he's faithful. Even when I'm not, he's faithful. Even when I don't keep my word, he keeps his word. And so that's why we we worship him as the hero of our story. And you say, well, how does this matter to me? The stories that we're telling are interesting, but therefore Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, I'm not an Israelite, I'm not a Jew, no, but through their descendants came the, the, the promised Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who was promised to be a Savior for the entire world. And we build our faith upon the gospel, which means good news of God's love demonstrated through Jesus Christ. That God loves you and wants relationship with you. He demonstrated forgiveness on the cross by paying for our sin debt so that we don't have to because he wants us back. And he died and he rose again to sh- break the power of sin and death and the, and the consequences of sin and give us eternal life and invite us into relationship with him so that he will be with us, not just someday in heaven, but live in us now through his Holy Spirit, as Debbie mentioned earlier, and live inside of us and walk with us and someday take us with him. He's not just our creator, but he could be our father and our God. And we have a promise in him. And if you believe the gospel, if you've never received the gospel of Jesus Christ today, I hope you'll do that during our quiet time. Pull that card out in the seat back in front of you. And just read it over during those two minutes and just maybe pray a prayer and say, God, I put my faith in you today. put my trust in your sacrifice. I receive the good news of Jesus Christ as my path back to you. And I accept that relationship now and forever. Do that today if you've never done so. But if you have, and along the way you got confused because life was messy, things happened to you that you don't understand, or things happen from you that you regret, Remember that we're singing, great are you, Lord, not great am I. Great is his faithfulness. I put my trust in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and sure foundation. He'll never let me down. And as we wrap this up, I want to just think about that. Why? Why did God do so much for people like this in the story today? Why did God do so much for people like this? The answer is this, because he said he would. And he does just what he says. The constant in our stories is flawed people who were loved by a faithful God. Isn't that my story and your story too? And I want to pivot that question on the screen around for you. How can you have confidence that God loves you? Because he said that he did in his word. And he showed that he does at Calvary. And so today, when you leave here, whatever you leave here, whatever lessons from these stories can speak to your heart and minister to your life and maybe be informative to how you guide your steps from here on out, don't forget the most important story. Great are you, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. I trust you and your promises to me. The God of Abraham is still at work today.